Okay. So, you have before you an outline on truth. Now, society would tell you that truth is relative, not a, not absolute. But when you go out into society, do you demand that your doctor tell you the absolute truth or just as it's relative to him? Do you demand that your loved ones tell you the truth? Now, I demand that my kids tell me the truth. I don't always get it, but I demand they tell me the truth. We expect our employers to tell us the truth. We expect airlines to tell us the truth, hopefully, that their aircraft has been worked on and that it's going to make it safely to its destination. Now, we demand these ideas of truth, but if you look at society today, that's kind of a, a background. We, we always expect the obvious things of truth, things we can see, the physical things or uh, perhaps even the uh, emotional or mental things we expect. <laughs> we expect to be loved truthfully. Now, we demand truth from those. We expect it from the doctors, companies, courts, our employers, our airlines. So it seems to make sense that we would seek truth in religious matters. Now, people would say, well, you can't expect it in religious, only these other matters. And usually because they think it's a metaphysical or beyond this world kind of thing that we can't understand, that it's beyond this world. But... There is a, well, not but, there is a parable that college professors like to tell their students. I'm going to, I want to read it to you real quick. And it goes like this. There's six blind men and an elephant. Each blind man feels a different part of the elephant and therefore reaches a different conclusion about the object in front of him. One man grabs the tusk and says, This is a spear. Another fills the trunk and says, This is a snake. The one hugging the leg claims, This is a tree. The blind man holding the tail thinks, I've got a rope. The one feeling the ear says, I think I've got a fan. And the one leaning on the elephant's side is pretty certain he's leaning against a wall. And in this parable, the blind men are said to represent the world's religions because they each come to a different conclusion about what they're sensing. And what we're told in society is that no religion has the truth. All religions basically have the different path to the same truth. I'm going to let you think about that. And we're going to get right into what truth is. Now, the first is a description. What is truth? Now, 
what definition would somebody give me as truth? Do you guys have a definition of truth? If, I, if someone were to ask you what is truth, because remember, honesty, because honesty. Pilate even asked the question, what is truth? That's number one, telling it like it is. That's exactly what truth is. It is honesty, but it's telling it like it is. Number two is that which corresponds to its object. The word in two is corresponds. Or that which describes an actual state of affairs. I'm going to go to the Bible as an example for this one. Now in chapter 8, I'm sorry, chapter 18 of John, when Pilate is talking to Jesus, I'll start in verse 37. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in this man. So that which corresponds to its object. Jesus, or I'm sorry, Jesus, Pilate said about Jesus, I find no fault in this man. He's basically saying, I am innocent. And so the innocence corresponded to its object, which is Jesus. And it described an actual state of affairs because he was indeed innocent. That was the truth. Number three is not relative, but absolute. Number four, if something is true, it's true for all people at all times in all places. If you look at gravity, it seems to be true all around the planet. If I fall off a cliff in Ethiopia, I'm going to go splat. If I fall off a cliff in America, I'm going to go splat. It's true everywhere on the planet, in all places, at all times, all through history. Five is all truth claims are absolute, narrow, and exclusive. And it's the very nature of truth are these things. Number six, all truths will exclude their opposites. All truths will exclude their opposites for number six. Number seven. Truth is discovered, not invented. Basically, it exists independent of anybody's knowledge of it. Now, Isaac Newton was said to have discovered gravity. He was also said to have discovered calculus or created calculus. But both of those things existed before he put a name to it. 
gravity existed before he discovered it. Calculus existed before he discovered it, although someone else contends the calculus one. But it was unknown beforehand, but it was still there. Number eight is truth is transcultural. That means if something is true, it's true for all people, in all places, and at all times. Two plus two is four for everyone. It's for everyone in here, for everyone everywhere, and at every time in history, it's always been four. Now, I used to work at Blockbuster Video, and someone said, one of the people I worked with, he said that truth was relative. And he said that because he had a friend who was in one of his college classes who said he couldn't see the color gray. All he saw was this other color instead. So if he was looking at, I'm sorry, no, he could only see the color gray. So if he was looking at blue, he would say, oh, that's not blue, that's gray. Well, he saw gray, but it was actually blue. The reason he saw gray is because there was something wrong with his eyes. It was still true for him. He just was blind to what the truth was. So it's true everywhere for everybody. If I don't see, like some people are colorblind. My wife says I'm colorblind. I don't believe I am. She sees orange at the door. I see orange or traffic light or I forget what color it is now. But that middle color, whatever color that is, yellow, is that what it is? I think I keep saying orange then. Does everybody here contend it's yellow? Okay, then I'm, I must say orange. Uh, and she says I'm colorblind. But if indeed the truth is that it's yellow, just because I see orange doesn't change the fact that it's yellow. The truth is there. It's there at all times. It's there for everybody. Just because I don't see it or haven't discovered it doesn't mean it's not true. Number nine, truth is unchanging even though our beliefs about the truth change. Now you've got to think back to Columbus. At that time, there was a very big belief that the earth was flat. And they thought, okay, let's just sail around the Cape, I think it's Cape Horn or Cape Hope of Africa, and let's not go too far west because we might go off the side of the map. And so... The truth was that the earth is round. That truth, wasn't, that truth didn't change. It was always round. Their belief about truth changed when they discovered that the West Indies or San Salvador was actually there. And they realized the earth was round. They proved it when Magellan went around it. So the truth is unchanging even though our beliefs about it do change. Number 10, beliefs cannot change a fact no matter how sincerely they are held. Uh, someone can sincerely believe the earth is flat, and they will be sincerely wrong. There, one of the arguments against Christianity is, you know, but how, look how sincerely those Buddhists believe what they believe, or look how sincerely those Mormons believe. Or, you know, and, you know, some people sincerely believe things, and they seem even more dedicated than a lot of Christianity does. But that doesn't mean their belief is true. You can be sincerely wrong. Number 10. I'm sorry, number 11. Truth is not affected by the attitude of the one professing it. An arrogant person 
does not make the truth he professes false. A humble person does not make the error he professes true. This sort of relates a little bit to number 10. But if you think about it. Now, Christianity isn't the only monotheistic religion on the earth, but it's usually the one that's accused of uh, being narrow-minded. Because we are, and truth is narrow-minded. But a lot of times, when we realize we're right, and we know we're right, that's where the arrogance creeps in. And so some people will say, well, I don't want to believe that because that person's arrogant. Completely blinding themselves to the truth of the fact that we are indeed believing the correct thing. In fact, there's, I don't remember what it's called right now, but there's, there's 24 logical fallacies. And one of those logical fallacies is just because someone is professing something in an arrogant way doesn't mean they're wrong. And again, it's basically what I said in number 11 here. The attitude doesn't change the truth that one is professing. Number 12 says all truths are absolute truths. Even truths that appear to be relative are really absolute. Well, let me explain that one. What's today? Today is May 18th. So today, I, Eric Bryant, felt the feeling of warmth on May 18th, 2016. Now, that's my, how I felt about the temperature. Maybe Megan felt that it was cold. I know most women get a lot colder than men, and so I'm going to assume that Megan was cold. Now, it was true for me that it was, it was warm. And that appears relative, but because I've told you I had the feeling of warmth, it's true that I did have that feeling for all of you because you go, well, Eric had that feeling of warmth. I know that's true for him. And it was true. I don't know if I explained that clearly, but it's true for everyone everywhere that I had that sensation of warmth today. Number 13. Contrary beliefs are possible. Contrary truths are not. We can believe everything is true, but we cannot make everything true. That should have been 1 through 13. Oh. Second blank. It's, let me read it again. Contrary beliefs are possible. Contrary truths are not. We can believe everything is true, but we cannot make everything true. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, because of where I work, and I guess a lot of the places I have worked, there's a lot of people who go to college there. And I've dis- debated with a lot of different coworkers whose spouses are in the science field or, or molecular, bi- molecular biology or other fields like that. So they're always discussing the truth of what they've learned or their supposed truth of what they've learned. And some people who take 
philosophy class or other classes like that, they will, again, there's the phrase, all truth is relative. Now, B on your outline is self-defeating statement, a statement that fails to meet its own standard. Now, there's a tactic in order to turn these statements on their head, and it's called the roadrunner tactic. Now, I remember growing up, and I don't know when these cartoons were made, but everybody saw Wiley E. Coyote in the roadrunner. Now, the coyote always thought he had the roadrunner exactly where he wanted him, but the roadrunner always came out ahead, and the coyote usually ended up falling off a cliff with a acme anvil on his head and that's really what how you can view these statements because the coyote will think who is these people who believe in relative truth that they have you where they want you they will say all truth is relative well how would you answer someone if someone told you all truth was relative what is the answer that you would give them what would you say Okay, but why? Why is all truth absolute? And they would say, well, that's true for you, but that's not true for me. And they would say, well, again, it's true for you, but it's not true for me. What if you said, what if they said to you, all truth is relative? And you're going to say, is that a relative truth? Because what they're saying by their statement, if you say relative, that means it can go either way. It's not really a truth. But what they're doing in making that statement is making an absolute statement. All truth is relative. Well, by saying that, they're making an absolute statement, completely debunking what they said in the first place. They're making an absolute truth by saying there is no absolute truth. So you ask them, well, is all truth relative? Is, or is that a relative truth? They'll also say there are no absolutes. And you would respond by saying, are you absolutely sure? Someone would say, it's true for you, but not for me. And you would say, well, is that statement true for you, or is that true for everybody or everyone? Someone might say, There is no such thing as truth. And you would say, is that true? And then someone would say, well, truth can't be known. And you would say, well, how do you know? All these are ways to answer someone who says, because these are all popular in society. And even more now than they were when I was in high school. And I remember hearing them in high school, and I was no way I was going to answer them in high school because I had no idea. I hadn't studied it. I didn't think about it. I just went, okay, well, whatever you want to believe, and I believed whatever I wanted. You can't make a truth claim that claims truths cannot be claimed because you cannot say truth cannot be known and then claim your view is true. That sounds like a tongue twister. So I'll say it one more time. You cannot make a truth claim that truths cannot be claimed. You cannot say truth cannot be known and then claim your view is true. Again, it's self-defeating. 
Now, belief in self-defeating statements. And again, these are popular. And number, I don't know how I line this up. Under B, number two, where it says belief in self-defeating statements, it says ideas have consequences. That's the blank. A is, why should someone act right when they are told there's no such thing as right? If there's nothing that's absolutely right, if there's no truth about what's right or wrong, then you can't tell me that I'm wrong. If I took a package of muffins from work They'd say, you're stealing. And I said, well, that's true for you, but that's not true for me. I don't, I don't believe that. They would say, well, and, you know, I don't, who knows what they would say. They, they would probably laugh and arrest me. But we can't expect someone to act right if we're told, well, there's no such thing as, as right. There's no right and wrong. We're just animals following our instincts. Now, number B is, why, if there's... If there's no truth, why should we go to school to hear a professor or a teacher teach when there's no truth to be heard in the first place? If there's no truth to be heard in the first place, why are we even wasting money on college? Why do we bother going anywhere and learning? Why are libraries even open and supported by the government if there's no truth there to begin with? It's all fanciful. It's all fantasy. There's no reason to learn it. Number C, why not just cheat on tests or plagiarize when moral truth is relative in the first place? Again, I could say it's wrong. It may be wrong for you to cheat, but it's not wrong for me to cheat. It may be in bad taste, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. Moral truth is relative, yes. You cannot expect virtue from people who are taught that no virtue exists. You know what virtue is? Virtue is moral excellence. I actually had to look that up because I had no idea what it was. I'd heard the word. I've used the word. I had no idea what the definition of the word was. I had some idea, but moral excellence is a great concise way to define it. C.S. Lewis, who is, was one of the eminent Christian philosophers of the 20th century, in speaking of uh, people who say there's no absolute truth and no absolute moral truth, he said, you cannot remove the organ and demand the function. And that's a paraphrase. But he said, you can't expect us to live a moral, ethical society when we're teaching that there's no morals and ethics to begin with. And you can see how far we've come as a society when the two candidates we have are Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. I don't see a positive on either side of this 
other than the platform. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that in the pulpit, but or the stand, or whatever I have here. But well, yeah, I didn't take a side I, because I don't stand on either one of their sides. But uh, when they took prayer out of school, when they've, uh, in the Scopes trial, in the, what was it, the 20s, I think, maybe the early 30s, in the Scopes trial, you know, you guys know what the Scopes trial was? Oh, the monkey trials, yes. Where you had, uh, they went to court over whether or not to teach evolution in school. And Scopes was the guy on the evolutionary side of it. And basically, he obliterated the Christian on the stand, who had absolutely no answers for anything he was saying. And at the time, what was happening was science was, well, science was awakening in the 19th century, and Darwin had his ideas about science. And not that he didn't conduct science, evolution just isn't science. Evolution was the belief that came out of his science. And then you had Karl Marx and his philosophical ideas, and you had all these other people and this uh, belief in millions of years coming out, and, you know, it was blooming. And we get to the beginning of the 20th century, and Christianity has kind of not really paid attention to it. You know, there were, there were eminent Christian scientists, don't get me wrong. Uh, Isaac Newton was uh, apparently a Christian, so was... Uh, the guy I can't remember right now. Anyway, but there's, there were quite a few of them. In fact, they studied science because they went, I want to understand how God works. And that's why they were scientists. But there were scientists on the other side who didn't believe in God, who didn't want to believe in God. And so they looked for reasons to debunk it. But most of Christianity had no idea about science. They were ignorant of it. Uh, and... A lot of Christianity still is, but there were no answers. There were no apologetics books to defend it. I mean, Christianity didn't even really have good apologetics until the middle of the 20th century. There were no, and it was C.S. Lewis and um, Josh McDowell in the 70s and other people who came out, but it was really, uh, it was just a really a poor apologetics at that time. And so when we look at the Scopes trial back in the 20s, I believe it was, the, I, don't, I don't remember the Christian on the stand, but he just had no answers, and he said, you know, I don't have any answers, but I blindly believe. And I don't think we have to blindly believe. I think we have reasonable faith as to what we, as to what we believe. And reasonable doubt, and you can't ever know anything 100%. Like Gravity. We believe that gravity happens 100% of the time. Yes or no? No? Yes? I don't know. To answer yes, I would have to see every object that's ever fallen on the face of the earth fall and hit the ground. I don't know. There could be an object that, instead of falling off the table, floated up for no apparent reason. I don't know. But... I have reasonable doubt to believe that since everything I have observed has fallen, that gravity must be in place 100% of the time. And I can just say, well, 99%. And that's reasonable doubt. 
let's see, where was I? C. Why can't all religions be true? Many religious beliefs are contradictory. They teach opposites. So, I didn't have a lot of blanks in this section. But I'm, I'm going to read what you have there. Similarities and differences. Most religions have a moral code because God has implanted right and wrong on our consciences. And it says that in Romans 2. Actually, I can probably find that real quick. Romans 2.15. It says, Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or excusing them. So it's saying in 2.15 that God has written the law on our hearts. We all know right and wrong. However, on they differ on almost every major issue, which is the nature of God, the nature of man, sin, salvation, heaven, hell, and creation. A few of these differences are Jews, Christians, and Muslims believe in different views of a theistic God. Most Hindus and New Age beliefs say that everything that exists is part of an impersonal pantheistic force called God. The Christian, Jew, and Muslim believe that evil is real, while many Hindus believe it is an illusion. And with the exception of Christianity, all religions believe you are saved if they believe in salvation at all, by doing some kind of good work. But the definition of good and what someone is saved from can vary or differ greatly. Christianity believes you are saved by grace, by placing your faith in Christ. Good works are done to earn, are not done to earn salvation, but because they have received salvation. And so, really the biggest similarity and this is the thing that people will say well we're all believing the same thing is the moral code and even then I would say that's questionable if you compare the moral code of some religions to Christianity because you can look at Islam and it's perfectly okay with their moral code to fly planes into buildings it's perfectly okay for their moral code to commit homosexual acts, acts on small boys. It's perfectly okay in their moral code to marry a five-year-old girl and molest her. So I would question their morality. Are there some peace-loving Muslims who don't understand their religion completely? Yeah. But would they, as Pastor Bill said, would they submit to those who would... Uh, apply Sharia law, they would. And they wouldn't give it a second thought. And then there's uh, Buddhists. When we're in Cambodia, they I'm trying to think of a couple examples. One of the people that we witnessed to the first trip were over there. Uh, he became one of our, our friends on Facebook. And he posts the oddest 
oddest things that I've ever seen anybody post on Facebook. And it doesn't translate everything that he writes on there. But just some of the actions that they take as far as, you know, what they allow themselves. They will... Uh, I don't even know how to say it. I'm trying to think of one of the things he posted recently, but he, he just, he posts weird things. He posts things about people committing suicide. He posts things on uh, just uh, sanitary conditions and things like that. But the suicide thing was something that he posted and I didn't get the entire translation, but something that he appeared that it was it was going to be acceptable. Maybe not something that was going to bring him something benefit in the afterlife, but something that wasn't necessarily going to avert him from some uh, nirvana. I can't believe if nirvana is Buddhism or not, but whatever he says their pantheistic forces. And then, you know, Mormons allow... Uh, poly um, polygamous marriages. Sorry, I couldn't remember the word. And, you know, it's been outlawed for the most part in the main church, but there's still sects of the old religion who saw it's completely okay. And again, they're also completely okay with marrying young girls who are six or seven and molesting them. And so there's all these different uh, standards in their moral code. Christianity, people would say about Christianity, well, you allow the death penalty. We do allow the death penalty. But it's because God allows the death penalty, not because we're enforcing it or looking forward to some, or we are enforcing it, but we don't look forward to that person's death, just like God doesn't. But it's meant as something to control the people so they don't get out of hand. If there was no penalty for certain kinds of wrong, then anarchy would prevail, and God does that as a safeguard. He does it as a way to be merciful not just to the people, but to that person so he doesn't commit sin anymore. So God's merciful on all sides of it. But I would question the moral code of other religions. And some of them are similar. But in many of them, there's these other things that we would have an aversion to. Jews, Christians, and Muslims believe in different views of a Christian God or of a theistic God. Um, when it comes to Jews and Christians, Jews obviously believe everything we do except that Jesus is the Messiah and, and a few other smaller doctrines. But otherwise, we're pretty much on the same page. They just deny the one who bought them. Muslims, on the other hand, believe that God has no son. They don't believe in the Holy Spirit as we believe in the Holy Spirit. It's more like a a force that does the will of Allah. And then, uh, the biggest one, and the one that I always bring up when I talk to people is the question of works. And they always, they always, when you ask them, why should I get to heaven? They say, well, I'm a good person. I've done this, this, and this. And they say, well, you're a good person because I see you do this, this, and this. And I say, well, no, I'm not a good person. I'm actually a bad person. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And 
I don't know specifically what all the other religious writings say, but I don't believe any is as truthful about our human condition as the Bible is. Truth and tolerance. Can you have both? And again, many religions, it says, while many religions have aspects of truth, they cannot all be true because they teach opposites. Someone has to be wrong. Now, tolerance used to mean putting up with something you believe to be false. In today's society, it means you are to accept every belief as true. And this is the belief that pervades our society and that they're pushing into or pushing onto the people. Those small groups push it onto the government who then feel that they have to please the minority and push that same uh, belief onto everybody else. And this is known as religious pluralism the belief that all religions are true. Now, there's some problems with religious pluralism. The first is mutually exclusive religious beliefs are not true, and no one should be forced to believe so. Because for the individuals of some religions, it can be dangerous. For instance, if Christianity is true then it's dangerous to my eternal destiny not to be a Christian. So I shouldn't be forced to not be a Christian. I shouldn't be forced to believe someone else's exclusive religious belief. And if we go back to the first uh, number that we looked at, all truth is exclusive. It can't be uh, combined with, with what's false. The other problem is... They say, not questioning someone's religion, it says, I'm sorry, let me go back. Not questioning someone's religious beliefs is a belief for pluralists. So, they say not to question anybody else's beliefs. But they are contradicting that themselves in what they believe. This is, again, one of those uh, where you take the roadrunner tactic. Well, you just said I couldn't judge, but you're judging yourself that these are all right in the first place. So they're already violating their own truth. And it's technically a belief just as exclusive and intolerant as Christianity, or as their version of Christianity. Third problem, and I have it written out there for you, is an absolute moral position. It is an absolute moral position to prohibit the questioning of religious beliefs. It's technically not very tolerant for pluralists to impose, impose their standard on anybody unless there is a good reason for such a standard that they're pushing. And we shouldn't really allow them to impose it on us. And this is my favorite one. Since Christians have the religious belief that they should question religious beliefs, pluralists should technically accept this as well. But they don't because they only tolerate those who agree with them. And if you're tolerating those who agree with you, that's not tolerance. You tolerate someone who you disagree with. But I want to read a couple of those verses real quick. First John 4.1. And I'm sure you're familiar with this. 
He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So our belief is that we need to test everything. We can't believe everything. We have to believe something specific. Second uh, Corinthians 11.13 For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. Now, the whole context there is looking for those who are not following Christ, looking for those who are different, looking for those who are trying to deceive the body. So we are supposed to test everybody and look at what they're doing. And I have a couple other verses here that you can look up on your own. And there's even more than that. These are just four. But there's other verses that you go through the Bible and you go, oh, it says I'm supposed to question this. Oh, it says I'm supposed to look into this. Now, number five, or V there on your outline, says, the pluralist prohibition against judging is false because it fails to meet its own standard. You ought not to judge is itself a judgment. And since the pluralist, the atheist, the agnostic, and the Christian all make judgments, the issue is not that we make them, but are we making the right judgments? So, again, it's that roadrunner tactic. They're violating their own standard again. Number six there. If we accept pluralism, then we have to also accept all religious beliefs, including, how do I put this, including Muslim terrorists. I don't know anybody who wants to accept that belief. I don't know any non-Christian who wants to accept that belief unless they're already Muslim. Because I'm pretty sure when the Twin Towers happened, and I remember when it happened, that the churches were flooded with people who were wondering how in the world this happened to begin with. And all of a sudden, there was this big turn toward God, and people realized, okay, that's not right. That shouldn't have happened. And I'm pretty sure that no one at that point would have ever accepted that. And if we are accepting them as legitimate, why did we go after Osama bin Laden in the first place? Why did we go hunt him down? If there's no moral truth, if there's no real religion, why did we pull Saddam Hussein out of power? Why did we take? Why do we do anything we do against any other religion? Or why do we even stand for truth all over the world? Now, people always complain about the U.S. pretending to be a police force. Well, we have to be a police force because if we don't stand for the truth, no one else is going to. And, I mean, I'm not sure we have the power to do that anymore. But that's what we're here for. Not just as a country, but as people, is to stand for the truth and make sure that that truth makes it out. Now, it's certainly acceptable to respect the rights of others, what others want to believe. And, you know, I, I don't find it effective, at least in my personal experience, to walk up to a person and be vindictive and tell them they're going to hell. Now, I, I've told you I worked at Blockbuster. There was one person at Blockbuster that I worked with. She knew I was a Christian. And she did things that I thought were extremely immoral. And she asked me about Christianity. And she asked me, do you believe I'm going to hell? And I said, yeah, you are going to hell. She's all, well, that's mean. I said, no. 
if I didn't care, I'd tell you you were going to heaven. But I'm telling you that what you're doing is wrong. That shows that I care to begin with. And I, was expl- and, and I went on to explain to her, and I hadn't worked with her very long when that conversation happened, maybe a month. But um, we had that conversation. And, and again, I, I'm not disagreeable with people typically. I, I usually follow the line of when it, when it is relying on you, be at peace with all men. And so I kind of try to do that because I definitely don't fit with everybody's personality, but I definitely try to get along with them because they're still God's creation. And I'm not going to win them to Christ by being uh, averse to them. But anyway, and I was honest with her, though. And I spoke the truth in love. And she's one of the best people I ever worked with. Uh, She was a hard worker. I I still always witnessed to her. Um, I I didn't see her at all after I left Blockbuster. But, you know, I've still prayed for her. I don't know where she is. I don't know if she's accepted Christ. I don't know anything about it. But I was the witness I was supposed to be. I know that for sure. And... You know, I don't, all you do is push people away. And again, just because I'm sincere in my belief in loving doesn't mean that what I believe is true. Just like if I was vindictive and mean wouldn't mean I was, wouldn't mean it was false. But because Christianity is true, it would be unloving for us to affirm false beliefs in others because we're really leaving them on the road to eternal damnation. Now, when it comes back to the truth of religion, now, I'm pretty sure everybody in here knows Christianity is true, so I'm not doubting that. Um, But because these questions will get thrown at us, let me go over that parable again. One second. Okay. So, each man fills a different part of the elephant and reaches a different conclusion about the object in front of him. One grabs the tusk and says, this is a spear. Another holds the trunk and says, this is a snake. The one hugging the leg claims this is a tree. The blind man holding the tail thinks I have a rope. The one feeling the ear believes this is a fan. And the one leaning on the elephant's side is certain that he's leaning on a wall. Now, if if they do represent the world religions, they've each come to a different conclusion about what they're sensing. And like each blind man, we're told that no religion has the truth. And that truth, religious truth, is relative to the individual. It's not subjective. It is subjective, not objective. Now, each one of these men is blind and they can't see the truth. But there's one other person in the story that sees the big picture. Now, who is that? Huh? The elephant. But how about the person telling the parable? They're looking at the whole picture. They see that, okay, This is what each one of those people is doing. So they can see that, okay, there's an elephant. And these blind guys are leaning on it, and they're all believing the wrong thing. So it's the guy who's telling the parable's job to give them the truth so that they can believe the thing that is correct. So what we need to be is the person who's telling the parable who is objective and can persuade the blind men what the truth is to begin with. 
And, you know, when professors tell that story, they're not going to give you that, the outside person, the, the parable, te- parable teller. And if someone is looking at it from the outside and they're still denying it, they're being willfully blind to the truth. And we're told that in Romans 1 that that's going to happen. They, let's see, how does it go? They believed, let me look it up. Apparently my memory is fading. I'm not even that old yet. in Romans 1 and now I can't find it. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Their thoughts were darkened and they were unthankful toward God. They didn't glorify him as God. So they're purposely blind to the truth. summary and again this is I brought this up because this is really where you're going to end up there are some people when you talk to in apologetics and defending your faith they're going to be in different places in in where they are in accepting God some people they're going to they're going to believe in absolute truth but they're not going to be sure what it is they may be an agnostic who's seeking the truth They may be an ornery agnostic who goes, I don't really care about the truth. Or I don't believe the truth can be known. But if it's someone who's seeking the truth, you always start with, or someone who doesn't believe in the truth, or is not going to listen to anything else you have to say, you always start with, well, do you want to believe in truth? Do you know truth? Do you understand truth? There's a lot of things that we believe today uh, and that we take on faith because we believe they're true. Like... This is going to be a weird example, but when you buy peanut butter, and it's got that seal on it, you believe that that seal is going to prevent it from going bad because it has been vacuum-packed and all the air has been sucked out so that there's no bacteria that are going to grow in there. You believe that as a truth, that when you buy that peanut butter, it's going to be okay. Um, and you like that pop when it pops up, and you know that's fresh. It's true. You want that truth. You want the truth that goes, okay, I understand that now. Or you want the person who goes, okay, I'm, I'm getting that. Okay, I understand absolute truth. I understand truth is absolute, but what's next? And that's really what you're looking for is be able to let them go or let them know that all truth is absolute. And you can, there's even, and I gave you 13 for a description. There's more than that. There's so many different aspects of it. And I'm not a philosopher, because if I were, I'd probably be able to tell you all of them. But all these are stepping stones to someone's belief in God. And ultimately, the truth of the scripture, which is right here. And again, this is more 
information. I know I didn't pull a lot of the Bible in there. But if you read the Bible, you could apply all of this truth and look at the different stories and go, oh, the truth is valid here. Oh, the truth is valid here. And you could see the truth of everything and how it applies. And then especially how it applies to you. Any questions? Then I will close in prayer. Okay. Which, what are those? See at the very top. Of Most... Oh, many religious beliefs are contradictory. That one? They teach opposites. Sorry, I didn't highlight that one. (laughs) To be or not to be. Is that belief in self-defeating statements, that one? I don't know. No, I don't, but <laughs> how I outline things for myself personally evidently doesn't work for how I make outlines for you. <laughs> huh? It's very, very heavily. Yeah, that and a lot of other... Um, How about I'll look at your paper afterward and tell you where I messed up? (laughs) Huh? I do have to go to work. Yes, that is true. I have to go to work. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's the truth. Good men to do nothing. Yeah. If I walked up here as the pastor and said, all religious beliefs are true, and then Dustin came up to me afterward and said, well, I believe you're going to hell, then I would say, well, I don't believe your religious belief is true. But there's all the, like you said, tolerance is pervasive, and it's more and more pervasive each day. They were tolerant of Christianity 
up until they were tolerant. Well, Romans were tolerant of everything. That's why they fell. The Jews weren't, but they were. When you break up Jewish society, you had the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and you know a couple other small groups. And the Sadducees were the political leaders of the Jews, and they basically catered to the Romans to get position. And you had the Pharisees who hated the Sadducees, except when they were fighting Jesus, and then they got together. But Romans tolerated everything. Jews tolerated nothing. And pretty much every other person the Romans conquered, they incorporated them into their their army and their religion, and that's why they were so successful in that sense. yeah. But in the end, they were so over-tolerant of everything, except for, of course, Christianity, like society today, that they eventually fell. Everything that caused Rome to fall is the same thing that's happening here. Everything. Every single thing. Mariah, what caused Rome to fall? What else? Internally. What did you memorize? Say it louder. Taxes, slavery, unemployment, and diseases. And that's four of the things mentioned. She memorized that for homeschool. But the raising of taxes, unemployment, and when you look at Roman history, I don't want to talk about Roman history, but anyway, truth. It's, it is the exact same thing that was caused Rome to fall and their tolerance of everything but Christianity, just like this country. It's the same thing that's happening. Exact same thing that's happening. Uh, any other comments? Go ahead. Well, they were, tolerant of, they were tolerant of anybody's morals, so you could be completely debacked. And you were fine. And the Caesars led the way in that. There were there were no moral or ethical Caesars. They were all fairly disgusting. Okay. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I do thank you for your word. I do thank you that it is the truth. That it is something that we can rely on. That it is something that tells it like it is. You tell us that we're sinners, and you tell us where we can receive salvation. Lord, it is absolutely narrow, and it leads us to you alone who have the power to save us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be witnesses to others, that we'd show them, be able to show them your truth. And, uh, Lord, just add souls to your kingdom. We thank you for this time and just for the fellowship we have together. In Jesus' name, amen.